Today's scripture reading comes from James 4, 1 through 12. Can you guys hear me okay? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that his jealousy longs for the spirit he has called to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? What's going on, LMCC? Get this out of the way. Let's have a quick word of prayer before we get started. Gracious God, thank you so much just for this time, God, to take a look at your word. God, right now, I'm sure we came in here with a bunch of things in our minds. I would just ask that you would help to declutter our minds so we can hear pretty clearly what you want to tell us today. God, so many things that we come in here with today, so many burdens, so many things in our minds, so many things that can kind of preoccupy our thoughts. God, I would just ask that you clear it out for today. God, and prepare our hearts so that we could uh, just receive your word and that it would change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, what's up, LMCC? My name is Jordan. I'm a friend of Jacob. Uh, I don't like to admit that all the time, but I am a friend of Jacob. So, <laughs> One thing Jacob didn't tell you about me is I am a, a huge Apple fanboy. Like, I have everything that Apple probably has ever made. If Apple made socks, I would buy them and think that they were magical. Uh, the thing I love about Apple is that I used to have a Dell, right? And my last Dell laptop, that's funny in and of itself, my last Dell laptop might have been the slowest computer in the history of the world, and I'm not just, I'm not just saying that. Um, it took me about a half an hour just to turn my computer on, and 20 minutes after that I can finally get online because the computer was ridiculously slow. Now, there was nothing wrong with the hardware of the Dell. It was constructed properly. The problem was I had so many viruses and malware on my laptop that it was so corrupted that I could barely do anything on it. And what drove me to love Apple and to love all their products was the fact that they're not susceptible to malware and, and viruses like, like Dell's are, like Windows are. So that's why I'm Apple's number one fan. I don't have any stock in them because the prices are too high, but if I would, I could. James today look, gives us a, a pretty good insight into something that I think we should all take a, a minute to examine. In the first verse of James, he says, he, he raises two rhetorical questions. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your, from your desires that battle within you? 
What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? Now, James tells the readers of, that, of the scripture, he tells his audience, a truth that is repeated all throughout scripture. Um, it's nothing new here in James, but it's a very important truth that what plagues us isn't necessarily what we do, it's what's within us. Our struggles aren't necessarily uh, all of our actions, but there's something a lot deeper and a lot more important that James is getting at. It's the battle that's going on inside within us. He told his audience that what they were struggling with uh, came from the passions that they were battling with. Now, internal, internal struggles can oftentimes be way more problematic than external struggles. Anybody knows the story of the, the Trojan horse story with the Greeks versus the Troy, in, in, in Troy? Um, the, the Greeks hid inside of this Trojan horse. Um, the, the army of Troy thought that they, were, they had fled, so they brought this Trojan horse into their gates. After, about, after the sun went down, the Greeks snuck out, let everybody in, and that, that ended the war. Um, that one act of being let inside was something that they needed to get inside and, and to really ruin them. The Empire of Rome, one of the greatest empires to ever exist, didn't fall because of external pressure, but because of internal corruption. What's going on inside of us is far more problematic and has the potential to ruin us. So this is what James is pleading with the community today, I believe, is that uh, we have to take time to examine ourselves, time to examine our hearts, time to examine not just what we do, but why we do them. Uh, Socrates once said that the life, an unexamined life is not a life worth living. An unexamined life is not a life worth living, and I believe that today we should really look at uh, what's going on in our, in our hearts. Now, I know this truth all too well personally, that an unexamined life is not one that's worth living. Uh, physically speaking, uh, I have been diagnosed with uh, uh, genetic, I'm genetically predisposed to cavities because I have soft teeth. That's not exactly a good characteristic. Like, I'm sure out of the millions of Match.com profiles, nobody has that listed on their, uh, <laughs> on their criteria. I love long walks on the beach, soft teeth, uh, <laughs> avid reader. So I, don't, I haven't checked them all out, but I'm pretty sure it's not on there. And because I'm genetically predisposed to cavities, my dentist told me that I should really, instead of going for checkups and uh, cleanings about twice a year, I need to be going at least quarterly. But being the genius that I am, I didn't take his advice. And uh, two weeks ago, I was eating some candy, and I felt something move in my mouth. And whenever you're eating something and you feel something move in your mouth, it's never a good sign, trust me. Um, but I hate going to the dentist. No offense to any dentists in the audience. Please shake my hand after, uh, after service today. But I hate going to the dentist because it always represents something, something negative. Even though I know I should go and get examined, I know I should go and get what needs to be done done, I never do it. So last week, I sat in the dentist chair, and I, was <laughs> I had to enjoy the gentle touch of a, a four-inch needle jammed into my gums, the beautiful aroma of burning enamel, and the uh, melodious sound of a drill spinning at 10,000 RPMs into my jaw. Now, had I gone to the dentist months ago like I was supposed to, I could have avoided all those problems. And here in this, in, this, in this text, James is telling these people to examine their lives, to look at what's going on in their own hearts so they can avoid so much trouble that's down the line. Me personally, I am, spiritually speaking, I'm a very impatient person. I was in Fairway yesterday, and for whatever reason, I don't know why it always happens to me, but I always pick the line with the world's worst cashier. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, the line could be moving, could be speeding until I get there, and the person before me, uh, it, it always slow down. So what, took, what should have taken one minute 
took like 10 minutes. The lady in front of me had, um, you know, she had every type of new fruit and vegetable, white asparagus, and the, and the, and the cashier didn't know the codes. Um, so I sat there just boiling on the inside, angrily cursing this woman for doing her job. Now, the problem wasn't that I'm impatient. I mean, the, problem, the real thing, the real question is, what's going on inside of me that's causing me to be so impatient at this, at this woman just doing her job? What's going on inside of you when the things that happen on a day-to-day -day basis uh, trip you up? What's going on inside of us? These are the tensions that I believe that we have to pay attention to. Um, in James, so James points out this thing as, as, the, as the first uh, issue that they are to pay attention to. What's going on inside? Now, we don't always pay attention to that question because I think we live in a culture that is really not focused on anything else other than behavior modification. Like self-help books fly off the shelves because we are consumed and obsessed with behavior modification, right? The <laughs> but behavior modification, it never works. Ever since you were a little kid, we've been fed basically behavior modification. Um, I grew up in a household, my parents believe in spankings. Um, so I got it at a very early age that the good things will be rewarded, bad things will be punished. I can tell you the last time, almost to the date that I ever played with fire, I was uh, in fifth grade and I saw it on TV that somebody had made a blowtorch out of hairspray and a lighter. So being the ridiculously genius, brilliant kid that I was, I figured that's fun, but I'm going to take it up a notch. So I took about three rolls of toilet tissue, unraveled all of them, put them in my backyard about five feet from my house, a wooden house, and I stood there with a the lighter and the hairspray. Now, as I, lit the, as I lit the lighter and the hairspray and the first gust of flames went, I saw my father running in slow motion <laughs> towards me outside. Now, he was supposed to be at work, uh, which is almost how every good story starts. My dad was supposed to be at work, but... Um, so I saw him running in slow motion, and since that day, I've been cured. I have not played with fire. So to this day, I still I prefer electric stoves over, over gas ones. <laughs> now, behavior modification works, and that's part of our culture, but it really doesn't get to the heart of what's going on in our issues. The Biggest Loser, if anybody watches that show, I love that show. Anybody who watches it, uh, I watch it, one, to make me feel guilty about not working out enough. That's usually... That's the first reason I watch it. But I love The Biggest Loser because in the show, they really get to the heart of the reason why people eat the way they do. See, it's not just about you know, not eating after 8 p.m. or following Mayor Bloomberg's no 16 ounce, nothing, no drink over 16 ounces. Anybody can, everybody who's on that show has tried behavior modification a thousand times. They tried different diets, different fads, different things, but none of it really works. Why? Because internally, they have issues, they have uh, deep-seated issues as to why they overeat and why they're in that, that position. So the people on that show who actually get it, who really make breakthroughs, are the ones that have had some type of mental, spiritual, uh, emotional transformation where they look at things differently. So I believe that in this, in this scripture, James is not trying to just simply tell the people all the things they're doing wrong, which is a, a long list of things that they struggle with. The issue is not necessarily what they're doing but why they're doing it. The issue is not what they're doing, but why they're doing it. A.W. Pink, who's an author, uh, once wrote that the hands and the tongues are the shops, and the heart is the warehouse. The hands and the tongue are the shops, and the heart is the warehouse. 
to call people to cleanse their hands without also calling for them to purify their hearts is pointless. To call people to cleanse their hands without also calling for them to purify their hearts is, point, is pointless. Now, if we're, care, if we're not careful, we'll walk through our days never stopping to look at our hearts, never stopping to focus on the battle that is raging within us. A couple years ago, my dad uh, was experiencing some cardiac difficulty. He was things that normally super easy, like getting up and just walking to the bathroom or getting up and going up and down the stairs in my house. Uh, those things became incredibly difficult for him. Uh, so he went to the cardiologist. They ordered a battery of tests. And one of the tests, specifically the ar arteriogram, uh, basically they shoot a dye into your veins and they watch the dye go to your arteries. It's almost like an x-ray for your arteries so they can basically see if there's any blockages in anywhere in your heart. As it turned out, my dad had about a 75 or 80% blockage in one of his arteries. And the doctor, a skilled surgeon, you know, put a stent in to clean it out and unclog it. Now, the scripture, in a lot of ways, is for us, it, it is our arteriogram. It is, it's, it's to show us where there are blockages in our life. It shows us where there are blockages in our hearts that stop God's word from really transforming us in the way that we should be transformed. And if we really don't take it seriously, if we really don't, uh, really don't dig down deep and look at our lives, not just from a surface level, but from a, a more intrinsic, uh, a detailed level, uh, we'll, we'll go out and miss the point of what we're supposed to be doing, but more importantly, we're exposing ourselves to great danger. Had my dad not gotten that, he would have had a heart attack within months after that. So the scripture here shows us so many of our problems. And now this scripture right here is pretty tough. If you're like me, when you first read it, you might have kind of shrieked back a little bit because James is making some bold claims. I'll read them. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you crawl and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you ask with the wrong, uh, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, those are strong words. Those are very strong words. And when you first read that, I, I think the natural reaction for people is to say, like, whoa, all right, I get it. Those people were really messed up. Uh, but me, not, not, not so much. That's my first reaction. Maybe I'm just self-righteous, but that was, that's my first reaction to it. And I, think I'm, I don't think I'm alone in that. That our first reaction to reading something like that is to kind of shriek back and say, well, hey, that's not me. But if we do that, we're missing out on the real beauty of what the scripture is getting at. If we try to justify ourselves and say we're not as bad um, as, we, as these people, we're not as bad as these people, we're really missing out on the beauty of what the gospel message is. Now, you may, have, you may sin differently than the people in this, um, in this text, but I guarantee you we all have our struggles. When we look at our lives versus the life of Christ, when we look at our communities versus the kingdom of God as described in the scripture, it's pretty clear that there's a huge chasm between where we stand and where uh, God is calling us to walk in. When we look at our churches and we see churches segregated so, so easily among socioeconomic lines, so, e so easily segregated among racial lines, it's easy to see that our community doesn't line up next to God's community, next to God's kingdom. And what we should do is not necessarily make excuses or try to justify what we're doing or not doing. We really need to, to own up to them because in that story is a beauty of what God is telling us. Now, uh, Tertullian, um, a Christian father in the faith, 
in early, in early church. He wrote that just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so is the gospel crucified between two errors. Uh, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so is the gospel crucified between two errors. Now, on one side, you have licentiousness or liberalism, which basically says God is grace, do whatever you want, doesn't matter, just live, right? And the other side is legalism, which says that trying to seek to, to uh, justify yourself or trying to seek to earn your own way into heaven. And neither one of these are what God would have for us. Neither one of these errors is what God would have for us. And if we do that, we're missing out on what God would have us to see in the scripture. Because if, if, if God's goodness or God's love for you depends on what you do or what you have done, then basically that's just one way of you being your own functional savior. If God's like, love for you depends on how good you are, how many laws you keep, then you are your own savior. Not you and not Jesus are your own saviors. So James here is saying some pretty difficult stuff. It's pretty troubling what he says. He calls us adulterers, that we've gone against the vows that we've made to God and that we've been, our, we've been unfaithful. We are adulterers and that we have been unfaithful. Now, God as a creator has the right to demand us to live according. God is our creator, and as our creator and as God, he can basically tell us that his standard is correct and um, he has a certain standard that we should live. And I don't think that it's as far stretch to say that we've all missed the standard. Like, even if you were to throw the Bible com away completely, if you were to walk around with a tape recorder on your neck, right, and no Bible exists or anything like that, and you were to be judged only on how you think other people should live, in the last day, if they played that tape, you would fail miserably. And God's reaction to this, as we see in the scripture, uh, what James says in James um, 4 and 6, he says, this is, what, uh, this is what, or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. The, the retribution, the payment for us being, having these terrible battles waging on the inside of us, the retribution, the payback for us having uh, been unfaithful to God is not, hey, all right, this is what you need to do. You need to get better at this, you need to get better at that, you need to get better at this, and then I'll accept you into the community, I'll accept you into my heart. Now, the scripture says he gives us more grace. The way God responds to us is not by holding sin over our heads, but he gives us more grace. Now, if God is giving us more grace, that would rob us of all pride and all uh, self -ambition, selfish ambition in trying to be justified by ourselves. Later on in the scripture, it says, submit yourselves then to God. I'm sorry, wait, back, if you back up, it says, but he gives us more grace. This is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. If we were to humbly just go to God, realizing all the ways that we've uh, messed up, if we were to examine our hearts, not trying to pretend like we, don't, we haven't made many mistakes, but not trying to pretend like we haven't been unfaithful in many ways, if we were to examine that and internalize that and go to God humbly, God will give us more grace. And this is what God wants us living, in this tension of accepting what he has done for us and not trying to rely on our own good works. Accepting what he has done for us and not trying to rely on our own good works. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil 
and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, the humble walk is a life of continual reexamination, examining our lives and examining who we are in God. Now, it's impossible to, to be humble unless we stop and intentionally examine ourselves and in doing so, we'll see the many ways that we fall short. But more importantly, we'll see the amazing love that God has for us in spite of it. Now, the gospel message is found in Romans, found all throughout the scripture, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly, right? So God's love, is, God's love for us and God's affection for us precedes all of our piety and attempts at piety. God's love for us, God's gracious acts for us, it precedes, far precedes all of our piety and attempts at piety. And God doesn't want us resting on those laurels of things that we've done or haven't done. He wants us resting on him and what he has done for us on the cross. James is saying that we need to submit ourselves to God and to resist the devil. We need to submit ourselves to God and to resist the devil. But what does that, like, what does that really mean? Like, how do you submit yourself to God and how do you resist the devil? Uh, throughout the scripture, the Bible uh, in 1 Peter talks about the devil as a roaring lion. Now, um, the mountain lions in America are um, the number one predator of humans in America. I read it on the internet, so it has to be true. So mountain lions are the number one predator of humans. And there's a man uh, by the name of Craig Childs. He was in, where was he in? New Mexico? No, Arizona. Arizona's Blue Range Wilderness. He's a sociologist, whatever he is. He basically works in parks and recreation or whatever. That's a TV show, so I didn't mean to say that. Um, he works in parks and national landscapes and all that good stuff. Anyway, Craig Childs was in uh, this forest taking pictures, and he saw a mountain lion. He sees a mountain lion. He waited there for about five minutes, then went to where the mountain lion was to look at his tracks. No, he didn't. Yeah, that's not never a good idea to follow a mountain lion around. So he went to follow. Uh, he followed the mountain lion after he'd given it some time to look at his tracks, to observe his paw print and its whatever, his diet and all that good stuff. So after a few minutes, he walked to the water hole to identify the tracks. And just before he bent down to look closer, as soon as he bends down, he sees a mountain lion staring at him. Pulls out his knife, mountain lion and him, nobody else around. Now, Craig Childs had done enough research on mountain lions to know that mountain lions, they can kill animals five and six times their size, and they're big. So he knew that one-on-one, -on -one, he really has no chance whatsoever. But the way a mountain lion attacks isn't from in front of you. It doesn't attack you directly head on. A mountain lion attacks prey from the back. It's uh, instinctually trained to go for the vertebrae right below the neck, right, uh, right above the neck, which automatically severs the uh, motor and the uh, respiratory functions. So it can kill the prey five or six times bigger than it just by severing, uh, with its huge sharp teeth, severing those, that vertebrae right there. And he knew that if I turn my back on this mountain lion, it's going to kill me. I can do anything but give it, to my, give it my back. So the mountain lion was approaching him, started going left, he started going left. Mountain lion started going right, he started going right. Started coming closer to him up until he got about 10 feet to him and it finally turned around. Mountain lions like to turn around, they like to attack you from your back. Now, had he turned around, had he not looked at the mountain lion, 
he would have certainly died. He would have certainly paid the price for that. And for us as a community, as a, as a Christian, if we turn our back on the struggles that we have in life, if we turn our back and refuse to examine the life that we're living, if we turn our backs and refuse to uh, look this thing directly in the eye, we're too very susceptible. If we turn our backs and refuse to acknowledge and examine all the ways that we fall short, if we turn our back and refuse to uh, engage in daily disciplines of reading our scriptures and different things, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Now, Craig Childs is a lot bolder man than I am. I probably, the story would have read a whole lot differently if I was in there, please believe that. But that principle is so powerful to me that uh, the enemy, the lion, is, is, is roaring. He's prowling towards us, and the only thing you can't do is turn around. The only thing you can't do is give him your back. So practically speaking, how do we continue to examine ourselves? How do we uh, engage in these practices what I'm about to say is nothing profound, but it is immensely important. Uh, we engage in spiritual disciplines, reading our Bibles, setting aside time to be very intentional about that, uh, to feast on God's word, to, to take it in, to use God's word as a mirror, uh, to show us all of our pimples and our, and our faults, to show us all of our imperfections. And then we would also engage in prayer, a time of reflection, a time of, of, of looking at what God has done for us, looking what, at, at what Christ has done for us on the cross. And in seeing this, uh, it, the, only, the only sane response would be to humbly go to God, accepting his love, thanking him for his mercy, thanking him for everything he has done for us. And this is the type of community that, that I believe that God is trying to create. Now, James is very, very, uh, in my opinion at least, pretty angry when he's writing this. Righteous anger, right? Because the community was eroding as a result of the people's refusal to look at their own lives. The community was filled with people who were fighting and quarreling and everybody's self-righteous and everybody has issues. But God really has intended for community to be such a refining tool for us, uh, such a tool to, to be used to really sharpen us to make us more in the image of who Christ is, to sharpen us and to make us into the image of who God wants us to be. And the community that I would love to be a part of is one that is full of people who are humble, people who own up to what they have done, own up to their shortcomings, and rely heavily on the grace of God. That's a community that God is trying to build. I bet we would treat people a whole lot more differently if we saw ourselves in the light, if we examined ourselves more carefully. I bet we'd be a lot more eager to run to God. I bet we'd be a lot more eager to read our Bible, so to pray, to seek after God. If we examined ourselves, we would see that chasm there and we would see God's great love for us. That's the type of community that I believe that God is trying to build. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you for, uh, God, this is faith community. Thank you for the, those in leadership, God. I thank you for this, this warm spirit that's here today, God. And God, you dealt us a <clears throat> challenging scripture, God, that has challenged us in, in a lot of ways, that calls us out on, on our sin, calls us out on our shortcomings. And God, that's not a truth that we love to readily accept, oh, but God, it's true. So Father, as we leave this place, God, let us... God, leave it examining our lives, examining our hearts, God, in all the ways that we've fallen short. But God, let us not go to, the, let us not resort to trying to justify our actions or justify what we've done or that we're better than somebody else or we're not as good as somebody else. God, God let us just rest in your love for us and in that fact that you have given us more grace and that your love for us precedes everything else. God, these things we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.